0: This is American History TV's Lectures in History podcast. This week, a class from Tulane University about playwright August Wilson, his contribution to African-American theater, and his Pulitzer Prize-winning play, Fences. The class is taught by Tulane University professor John Ray Proctor.
1: Today we're going to look at August Wilson's um, Fences. We're going to begin with a very brief discussion about who and what August Wilson was, his goal as a playwright. Um, I'm gonna repeat some stuff that you have heard before from our in-class presentation from Semhall, but there's gonna be some stuff that I'm gonna talk about in a little bit more depth than we talked about uh, last class. On Thursday, you guys are going to look at T-Bone and Weasel. I really hope you all read that and prepare to do that. I'm gonna give you uh, your very quick pop quiz. The pop quiz for Fences should be easy as we will be done discussing it, but we're gonna take it so that you guys can get a grade for it. And you will also have the pop quiz for uh, T-Bone and Weasel. Let's start with um, August Wilson. August Wilson was born Frederick August Kittel or Kittle in April 20, on April 27th of 1945. His mother's name was Daisy Wilson. She was a cleaning lady, cleaning lady. His father's name was Frederick August Kittel. He was a German baker. I want you guys to pay attention race matters in a very specific way. Race is always one of the things that we're discussing as we look at these plays. So, his father, Frederick August Kittle, was a German baker, so he's white, or he's European. And then his mother is a black woman named uh, Daisy, right? And she's a cleaning lady. I want you to understand, so we're, we're already talking about a mixed relationship. When So his, uh, his mixed identity is a part of what he's um, working on when he's writing. Like, how he is negotiating African-American existence is a part of who and what he is as he's working as an artist and as a writer. It's part of the mission that he's undertaking. Um, he is the fourth of six children. Um, so, and they live in uh, the Hill District of Pensil- uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A lot of what Wilson's gonna talk about deals with the great migration. I've mentioned that in this class before, the, the great migration. Um, is what happened after uh, Reconstruction in the South um, when the social status of black people moved from uh, slavery to freed to the Reconstruction era to sharecropping. So sharecropping was this new kind of or new name for, I don't think it's quite accurate for me to say slavery, but essentially that's what it becomes. Uh, We've talked in this room about what sharecropping is right. Good, thank you. Um, and it's, it's just a system where the black people who used to be the slaves on the, on the plantation are now in a position where they are, they are renting what used to be the slave cabins. They are renting the clothes, they are renting the tools to go work for the same farms on which they were enslaved. And they enter this system in which they're never able to actually pay for, um, pay for the rental fees for the things that they're now using to till the land. So that's why the great, that's one of the motivating factors that caused a number of blacks to move uh, northward at the turn of the century and pursue a better life in the north. I want you guys to think for just a couple of minutes about what that does or what that means for black families in the south. Was it whole families moving north or was it more often than not, Uh, The man who would go north or the eldest son who would go from the southern states to the northern states and their purpose was to uh, Make money that they could send home. That's always the goal. You'll find a number of people in Pittsburgh in New York and in Chicago who have come north looking to make a fortune so that they can either make enough money so that their families can come up to the north and live with them in the north or so they can send money home so that the people that, they, that, that are their people down there could have a way of living. So understand that one of the things that Wilson is talking about, uh, one of the things that informs what Wilson is talking about is the Great Migration. Um, in Pittsburgh, because these rural areas are now dealing with an influx of black people, there are racial tensions that start to get built at the the turn of the century and afterwards. Um, The racial tensions include white neighborhoods in which black presences hadn't been before, in which now you have a, a, a growing poor black population who need things to live. They need jobs. They need food. They need shelter because it's cold. It's colder in Pittsburgh than it was in South Carolina or in Georgia. And the black people who have now migrated north, are they, they get to a point where they're like, how do we live? Where do we, where do we, how do we feed ourselves? How do we clothe ourselves? These become the primary concerns. Understand that all of those things are what are informing fences when we finally get to it. Um, so, in, at the age of 15 in 1960, he drops out of high school and he uh, joins the army in 1962 for three years and I want to take just a second and talk about what that means. Why, why today do we have uh, black, black people? I, I can't give you the real percentages, I would be making stuff up and lying to you, uh, but I believe there's a higher percentage of black people in our current military than uh, other races. What are some of the motivating factors for joining the military? What does it give you? He is unmarried at this point. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, Don't a lot of
0: like army recruits go to like poor black
1: neighborhoods or like poor neighborhoods of people of
0: color to go recruit um, like black and brown kids. So, and like kind of like push the education opportunity like getting paid and um, using that as like a, a force to kind of bring more because like they wouldn't
1: get it from like rich white kids so it's like right so I, I just want you to understand that uh Hall's point was or what what her question had to do with was uh she believes that recruiting agencies go to poor black neighborhoods and recruit black people in greater numbers uh than they do in rich white neighborhoods that's that is a fact of today uh may have been a fact in the 1960s but it's a it's a job, it's a good job, it provides money, it provides an income, it provides a steady income, right? And you're risking your life, yes, but that's part of this, that's part of this. Um, think about the institutions that take black men away from their families, outside of prison, and what will become uh, the incarceration, the insane incarcer- incarceration rates based around things that happened in the 80s, but we have to go back and look at the systems that moved black men away from their families. The army was one of them, or the armed services were one of them, but it wasn't, it wasn't in a cruel way. I think they were offered this opportunity. They said, hey, here's an opportunity for you to get three meals a day, <coughs> place to sleep, training, education, um, and we will and, and you know you can send a check home to your family, so that is one of the opportunities for employment and advancement that happened during uh, when Wilson was at this point he would have been about eighteen years old, but he 's in the army for three years. Um, after he leaves the armies in the late 1960s, he comes back uh, to the Pittsburgh area and he joins a group of artists and they form the Center Avenue Poets. Uh, which will later become, uh, later he will co-found the Black Horizon Theater, which is a black nationalist theater company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, In 19, so, and he stays in Pittsburgh until I think 1974, 1975, and then he begins to move westward. He spends a couple years in Chicago, and then he moves in 1978 to uh minnesota and he joins uh, and he's going to concentrate on playwriting in minnesota and he joins the penumbra theater and the artistic director for the penumbra theater is lou bellamy the penumbra theater is a black owned black oriented and black centered theater company in minnesota uh why is that name of the name of the town in minnesota flying out of my head right now Um, I used to work, my my brain's trying to say Fargo, Minnesota, but it's not Fargo. Minneapolis, that would be the name of the giant town in Minnesota that I can't think of right now. So, the Penumbra Theater is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, And he's working with Lou Bellamy. Understand that uh, August Wilson gets to a point in his life where what he's writing about is the lives of black people. And I want, to th- I want you guys to think for just a couple of minutes about why that's happening. Why is it significant, and in what way is it significant, that he is writing about the lives of black people? We've talked in this class before about the shift between white artists writing black voices. What does it mean when a, write- a white playwright writes a character, writes a black character into a play? What, is, is, what does their voice sound like? Is it authentic? What is it that, what is the character's purpose? Black characters who are appearing in white movies become a thing. I'm gonna jump just a little bit to talk about the um, popular culture that's influencing the way August Wilson is thinking about plays and writing and the presentation of black people. But I'm only gonna sh- jump for just a couple seconds. I wanna talk for a second about the popular culture of the 1980s. So in the 1980s, what are the things that are informing, and I'm talking about the 1980s because August Wilson will ultimately talk about, uh, we're we're gonna talk about fences, but let's talk about the things that were informing the way Wilson was thinking about the world. So in the mid to, in the beginning to the late like, like 1980, 1986, 1987, what are the popular images that are influencing what Wilson is seeing? Uh, you've got the movies include E.T., Return of the Jedi, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Beverly Hills Cop, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, um, and Some Kind of Wonderful. I know that most of these movies came out before you all were born. Are you at all familiar with uh, these series of movies? Have you heard of them before? If you think about things like The Breakfast Club, if you think about things like Pretty in Pink, I think his name is John Hughes, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, John Hughes is making a whole genre, and its we talked about what ideology means in this room before. Ideology are those unspoken and sometimes less clear structures that influence the way people think about America, the way women should behave, the way men should behave, what it means to be straight, what it means to be gay, what it means to be a whole lot of things. No one says it outright, but it's always, it's, it's unspoken underlying structures that inform the way we think about race and identity and class and gender. That makes sense? Good. So, if you've got movies like Pretty in Pink and Some Kind of Wonderful, and I think there's a movie with John Cusack holding up uh, Sp- uh, boombox that I can't... High Fidelity? I don't think it's High Fidelity. I can't remember what it is. But you have all of these as the biggest movies that are coming out in the 80s. And the primary concern in this, these movies for, for a lot of... I think this is technically the beginnings of rom-com. Uh, I'm, not a cinemat- I'm not a cinema professor. I can't tell you the truth of that. But white women white men falling in love those are what a lot of those stories are about overcoming rejection overcoming obstacles overcoming blah 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 so most of our movies in the 80s are dealing with white folks falling in love think for just a couple seconds about how we people of color african-american people appear in those films give it just a little bit of consideration we are more often than not, marginal or tangential. We are someone else in that story, right? So when we finally make it to August Wilson, we have an instance of, so the things that are motivating August Wilson are his desire to move black people from the margins to the center and say, what's true about us? What matters to us? What's happening in our lives? Because when we're just on the margins, what we have to say is maybe not, it's not part of the main story. And so it becomes this caricature where we're saying the funny lines. Like I said, we've got, prior to this, we've got George Jefferson who, appear, who began as a marginal character in uh, the, it's not called the Archie Bunker Show, but it was Archie Bunker. Um, and then we've got good times. Black people showing up in comedy. Black people's lives in popular culture for a very long time was something that you laughed at. Not laughed with, but laughed at, right? We were the joke, we were the comedy. Think about Eddie Murphy, who's trying, Is I don't know if any of you have ever looked at or read his early comedy, but think about what that's rooted on. And it's different, black people black comedians, black people creating black comedy for black people is a different experience than black people appearing in largely white structures and being as something to be laughed at. So I want you guys to consider how that works. Uh on television, we've got Roseanne married with children. Uh VCRs become a thing in the nineteen eighties. MTV, uh believe it or not, at one point in time, music television began with music, like that's, uh, Video Killed the Radio Star. I think it was 1986 or somewhere around there. I was a high school student and we all know, you all are looking at me with vacant expressions like for real, the very first song that ever played on MTV and I don't know it because of a trivial pursuit card was Video Killed the Radio Star. I can't tell you who did that song, but I know that that was the song. Um, And Michael Jackson's Thriller. Think about Michael Jackson in the 1980s. This is, how Black people are represented in art becomes becomes a thought that people are taking, are doing on purpose. People are people are really considering what happened. Black artists, Black playwrights, Black song uh, Black songwriters, Black performers are. I'm not saying that they are embracing Black identity, but they're becoming critical and critically analyzing Black identity in a way that is a response to the black blaxploitation sp- f- uh, films of the 1970s, in response to um, the civil rights movement of the 1960s, we always have to look at things in relationship to each other. We've got the 1960s and what happened during the civil rights movement. We can go back further and look at the 1950s, and we again look at Emmett Till's mother who realized the value of performance by keeping Emmett Till's casket open. Uh, that was an act of performance she was like you won't this won't happen behind closed doors anymore think about private voice versus public voice what does it mean when we are forced to keep something in private as opposed to what happens when we make it public. Think about the developments in technology that have happened between the 1950s and the 1980s. Think about uh, the advancements we make in telephone. Think about the advancements we get in recording, uh, recording technologies. Think about the advancements we've made in film and television itself. For example, and the way that should make sense to you guys now, There are uh, videos every time something happens out there. If somebody meets you in, in the grocery store parking lot and they start acting funny toward you, the first thing, what's the first thing that happens? What is the first thing that happens if you are in a public space and something, and you think things are gonna go bad? That's not a rhetorical question. You can leave, yes. Somebody pulls out a phone and starts recording. We have all of these instances right now of things that used to happen in, without any evidence, but now there's evidence, right? There's evidence not only from local street cameras, but every individual, everybody in this room, has their own phone. So they have a way of documenting their existence and that these crazy things happen to us, right? Because that's, that's what African-American existence becomes for a while. We say to the public, you are treating us in this way. And oftentimes what, what comes back is people go, what, what, it can't be that bad. You are exaggerating. Well, now, now we get to the point where our phone comes out. We're like, we're not exaggerating. This is what's happening. And so then what happens subsequently is this weird justification. Oh, I have to understand the context for that. Right, uh, that, that was taken out of context. Maybe it wasn't taken out of context. So when we get back to August Wilson, in the 1980s, the things that are informing his artistic vision and his life as a writer include all of those pop culture reference that I talked to you. And so he's seeing a large... What's, what's informing his television and his movie habits, he's like, that's, that's white people's world. Who's writing about us? And when they write about us, what are they saying? That's what's driving him as as a playwright. Good. So, let's talk about really briefly, I'm going to go through the contextualization of the 1980s. A lot of this is stuff that I was alive for and we have a different relationship to this. Like, I realized as I was putting this up here this morning that you guys are going to look at a lot of the stuff that I'm about to say as stuff that only ever existed in a history book, um, but I was in high school from essentially here on, right? So everything that I'm talking about are things that I have a memory of having happened while I was in high school. So I was a little bit younger than where you guys are right now. So in 1980, Mount St. Helens explodes. I can't begin to tell you what the images of the ash pouring all over, all over those people looked like. And it was on my television for days images of people covered in ash. We all saw it. It's what informed us. Uh, and on October 10th, 1980, 80, President uh, Jimmy Carter signed uh, legislation establishing the Boston African American National Historic Site. Uh, it's the oldest black church in America. And, that's in, and that happened in the 1980s. It was on the news. Uh, January 20th, 1981. It's the inauguration of Ronald Reagan, who is the 40th President of the United States. This matters in, um, I'm not an economics professor, but Reaganomics is something that you can look up and look at how it affected the world. Um, One of the things that is the most important part about that that we'll talk about later, deals with the tax cut in which we went from, I think a 70% tax rate on, uh, there's a way to say it that I don't know what it is, but there's a 70% tax rate that gets dropped to like 37 or 35%. From the wealthiest people in the country, over the course of five years, we lose as a country 750 million, yeah, billion. Sorry, not million, billion. Over five years, we as a country lose 750 billion dollars in tax revenue, based on something, but based on this bill that was signed by Ronald Reagan, uh, March 30th, 1981. Uh, someone tried to kill Ronald Reagan. Um, everybody knew about it. The, I'm only talking about the things that showed up on the news. For days. Um, April 12, 1981, is the launch of the first launch from the space shuttle in Cape Canaveral. Um, January 29th, Reagan's tax cuts cost, seven, cost America $750 billion over the next five years. September 12, 1981, Sandra, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor becomes the first female justice of uh, the Supreme Court. These are big stories that we couldn't not see. So I'm absolutely positive on some level these stories impacted or were in the were in the awareness of August Wilson. I don't even say that it necessarily impacted Fences, but these are the things that he's thinking about. So as you guys think about what the themes are in Fences and as we move from the deeply personal to the public, I want you to think about the way the public is becoming aware because of the way, uh, the way the, the public's growing awareness of the world, of the nation, of the national identity. Um, March 2nd, 1982, the Senate passes a bill eliminating the practice of busing to, er- to achieve racial integration. So busing stops in 1982. Uh, was racism fixed? in 1982. No, I don't think it was. Bussing was born as a way to, to, I think that busing was initially, uh, initially built as a way to um, integrate blacks and whites. It, it, was, it had to do with equality. Do you all remember? What do you know of that from history? Why we bust those, do you, uh, we talked about this a couple classes a, little, a couple of classes ago. Um, the one black young woman who had to go to school in Mississippi and the 5,000 National Guard people who went to Mississippi just so she could go to school. So that would have been, so 1954, 1955, 1954, 1955, all of these things are related to each other. Black people being allowed to go to largely white institutions, being allowed to. And we in this room have to think very specifically about what that means for us. We here at Tulane, looking at the racial demographics of Tulane, have to consider, have to always consider what that means to us. We are a part of this history. Uh, September 20th, 1984, The Cosby Show premieres. Um, And we've talked about that in this room. The Cosby Show is one of the first times we have the representation of a black doctor, black male doctor married to a black female lawyer. And they have five kids who are all... Uh, successful and professional and uh, living life in a way that is, that is not abject poverty, that is not just a joke, that is not in constant pain. The things that concern the, the Cosby family, we have to consider what their primary concerns are. Uh, we can think about Vanessa, who was looking for a boyfriend. Uh, very smart. It, it became layered. It became what black people are was something new because of The Cosby Show. 1985, uh, Bob Geldorf raises $70 million uh, for relief in Ethiopia. He does this with a giant concert, a giant televised concert. Um, 1986, for the very first time, January 20th, 1986, Martin Luther King is officially, the Martin Luther King holiday is officially recognized for the first time. January 28th, 1986, the Challenger space shuttle explodes, killing seven astronauts. I rem- it's, it's one of those things, I'm 50 years old now, and I can remember where I was when this happened. I was in high school, I was, this was my senior year of high school. Um, how old were you guys? Do you, have a, do you have a memory of 2011, of what happened to the world on September, ele- September 11th, 2001? Do you guys remember that? Do you have images of the towers falling in your head? Okay. Uh, just a generational thing. There are several things that have happened in our country and in the world that we as, as, as people, we got images fed to us on television. One of those for me was the um, explosion of the Challenger space shuttle. We watched it launch and just moments later, we watched it explode and we watched seven astronauts disintegrate. We watched it as a nation. In 2000, uh, 2001, September 11th, we watched airplanes hit the Twin Towers uh, in New York, and then we watched, in real time, towers fall on fire, and we watched it happen. So I'm, I'm, I find it interesting that, as a group of people, you guys were too young to have a memory of where you were at those times. Um, and then May 25th, 1986, uh, I included this one, Hands Across America. Uh, the 80s were a special, special time. Um, but you guys should have a reference for Hands Across America as of last week. What is your reference for Hands Across America? It's Jordan Peele's Us. Good. So, when I want you to think about the things that are, have global impact, that's one of them. So this is the world that is informing August Wilson as he is writing the play Fences. One more thing to talk about and then we're gonna discuss Fences as a class. I wanna talk about the Pittsburgh Cycle. The Pittsburgh Cycle is a series of 10 plays that August Wilson undertook to move black, black identity, black concerns, black lives from the margins to the center. He did it on purpose. His goal, it wasn't that he was necessarily, he held, he may or may not have held animosity for white America, but white America isn't the central concern of his plays. White people are not the central concern of his plays. Black lives, black identity, black, black existence gets moved to the center of his plays and his playwriting. The Pittsburgh Cycle begins in, uh, well, it's different. So he premiered with uh, Jitney. Uh, The first play he wrote was called Jitney. It premiered in 1982. The second play he wrote was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It was set in 1927, but it premiered in 1984. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is an amazing play. It's a wonderful play that deals with, I think, five black musicians um, and uh, one black female singer. Uh, Named Ma Rainey black uh, she's uh, do you guys know who Big Mama Thornton is have you ever heard of Big Mama Thornton? Okay, you should look up Big Mama Thornton if you are just Hanging out at your house listening doing homework. You might want to listen to Big Mama Thornton Uh, You could actually listen to Ma Rainey. You can go back and go oh Ma Rainey is they're a different type of singer you will get Nina Simone, but Nina Simone is kind of crossing over into a, what to mainstream. Ma Rainey was, we do have a contemporary reference for Ma Rainey, if you will, even here in New Orleans. Have you ever seen Miss Doreen play in the quarter? Y'all need to go to the quarter at some point in time and listen to uh, Miss Doreen. She plays clarinet. You'll begin to have an understanding of who Uh, Ma Rainey was, if you go listen and and talk to Ms. Doreen. She's amazing. Um, But after Ma Rainey's, then we've got Joe Turner's Come and Gone, uh, which premiered in 1984, and it was set in 1911. And then finally we get to Fences, which is set in 1957, but it uh, premiered in 1987. We're gonna talk about Fences in just a second. Um, And he also wrote The Piano Lesson, Two Trains Running, Seven Guitars, King Headley, Gem of the Ocean, and Radio Golf. And I think Clybourne Park, if I'm not mistaken, he also includes Clybourne Park. (sighs) Let's talk about fences. Um... August Wilson is influenced and in conversation with more artists than just playwrights. I know that all of these things inform him and at some point in time he moves away, he doesn't, he stops, he stops concerning himself with white representation and he specifically begins to seek out black representation and black art. One of the artists that uh, he specifically looked to was Romare Bearden. Here, let me show you. So, so that, I didn't break it, and I'm really proud of that. I have a question
0: about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Does that have
1: to do with like, sexuality? Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? Yes. Black Bottom, yeah. In fact, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, it does in fact have to do with sexuality. For uh, for a while, Ma Rainey had a, one of the other characters in the play is Dussie May, and Dussie May is an opportunist, a young woman who is an opportunist who has um, built a relationship with Ma, um, and the play tells you, the play intimates that it is of a sexual nature. Okay. So, yes, dealing with that is a part of that as well. Like the train, the serpent, the guitar. But these are
2: all natural
0: things that I saw.
1: When I uh, first began
2: to do collages. I had no idea that
0: I was going to develop certain symbols that have run through my work, like the train, the serpent, the guitar. But these were all
3: natural things that I saw I used to like around Mecklenburg now County in North Carolina. So black
2: people had to do with the train. So these are the, are the elements I used the train because so many of the lives of black people had to do with the train. So these are the are the elements of my environment.
1: A screen up. Bring the African American bring the African-American experience or bring the universal to the African-American experience. What is significant about bringing the universal to the African-American experience? What is significant to you about an attempt to bring the universal to the African-American experience? Yes, sir.
0: Like, it makes it something that like, everyone can understand. Like, it makes it easier for you to, like, um, I guess, relate to it. To the story, like, re- doesn't matter if you're black, white, or whatever, like, you can relate to it more.
1: How does the idea of empathy impact what you were saying?
0: Um, will people feel more empathy towards like black people. They would try and like help out with more of the issues that are going on in the community. Okay. I feel like
1: making the black experience understandable. We have, we all have children. Right? I think about Trayvon Martin. Every time I think about August Wilson, I'm stuck, and August, uh, sorry, August Wilson's artistic purpose, I find myself thinking about Trayvon Martin. And I wanna know why, why the newspaper, why the media depicted him as such a monster deserving of such treatment, when all I saw was a 17-year-old boy who had been followed home, right? Empathy. That's what, ideo- that's what ideology has to do with. If ideologically we can construct the black experience as something that is hostile, something that is aggressive, something that is violent, then the treatment of black people becomes justified by our criminal justice systems, right? But if we can perform the narrative of blackness in such a way that it becomes universal, then maybe there can be empathy. Maybe then we can get more, we can get the rest of America to go, you know what, this, this demonizing of blackness that has happened on an ideological level, let's step away from that and let's find out, and oh, that's just a mother and that's a son. When we look at uh, Rose and we look at Troy in Fences, we're hearing the story of a man and a woman, right? They don't, they don't really concern themselves with the white world around them. That's not, their, they're concerned with their lives. And that process of exposing or showing the deeply personal by showing the specific and personal, it's an attempt to make that story universal, right? Oh, a husband and wife. It's not about this black husband and this wife. Is it, or I guess that's my question for you guys. Is this story specifically about this black man and this black woman, or is it about men and women? Do you understand my question? Okay. Yes, Jemiron.
3: I feel like it's about problem and, and,
1: like, they're really just, really like, symbols of
3: of African-American men and African-American women and how, like, we interact with each other. Okay. And I feel like it, it probably shows, like, more of a private life of Afri- African-American experience. Okay. And how, and how, like,
1: husband, African-American husband and wife interact with each other. Would you say that fences... Humanizes
3: the black experience. Uh, I, in a brutal way. I I said I said do like uh, in a direct way from uh, from his dialogue to like towards from um, the main character, African American man, his dialogue towards his children and uh and his wife. Okay. So let me
1: ask you guys this. What are the? I'll be yes, ma'am. Uh, I was just gonna say that I think that the
0: play a shared experience of oppression from black, of that black men and women both go through as well as like, like what's intertwined with the way that they, like the relationship between black men and women at home, inside the home, like, you know, the way um, they have their own forms of like, I guess, oppression from from like a man to a woman, like some of the things that she was going through with her husband, Troy, and the way he was treating her it was very like misogynistic. It was just be like, go get, go get this for me, woman. Like, you know, it was a lot of that.
1: Okay, so let's talk about this for just a second. I am not contesting you. Thank you for a great comment. This is my question. We can describe the relationship between uh, Troy and Rose as oppressive, right? we can describe that as misogynistic. So take just a couple seconds and tell me from the play, give me an example from the play of what you think or what you would describe as oppressive or misogynistic. I'm not saying you are wrong. I'm asking everybody to to support that that, that position. What were some specific examples from the play that you might describe as misogynistic or abusive? (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, the fact that he just expected Rose to wait on him, like get him whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted it, like, or, yeah.
1: So Rose uh, doing as she was told, to go, yes, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely, you're 100% correct. Um, I think it, I think that that is a reflection of the state of uh, women in the domestic, domestic sphere, So this play was set in 1957. We have to think about things like I Love Lucy, uh, Leave it to Beaver, Good Times, and the idea of the American dream, right? What was a woman's role in a household in 1957? What was a woman's role? And even me saying that isn't necessarily true, because, we have to like when I say there were broader things that happened in the world when all the when a huge number of men left the country to go fight in World War II and then came back, women went and worked. When all the men left the country to go fight in a war, women went to work. This image that we have of the woman with the white woman with the stocking with the rag on her head doing the thing, that was uh, a symbol for, Ro- I think, Rosie the Riveter. So women went to factories and then they came home. And so who and what female meant and what the domestic sphere meant is being questioned. It, it, women had a different lived experience because of World War II. And then the other thing that happens after World War II is uh, the McCarthy era when you could be in trouble for, you could be called, being called a communist was the worst thing ever. You could appear before the House of Un-American Activities Committee, right? So that's, that was a thing that was a boogeyman that was used to scare a lot of Americans into what, I can't even say the government, into proper behavior, right? And women had their place. That's not right, Or there was an idea in American culture that women had their place. Women had, and their place was in the home. Uh, there are things that we would look at and call utterly crazy. Uh, magazines, uh, specifically for white women, about what having your man's drink ready when he came home from work, having, uh, being dressed nice, wearing a pair of heels and stockings, and having a full face of makeup on. These things were in magazines. I, I've seen them. They all exist. Um, and we can go back and look at them. Primarily, and this was a rhetoric that was being taught specifically to white women, and black women were trying to figure out how we fit into the American society. Black women's hair is a part of that story. Black women's jobs are a part of that story. Going out and being domestics, caring for white people's kids, Mm -hmm. all of that is a part of this story. How we, how black American identity fits into the fabric of American society is all a part of this story. You were gonna say? I
0: was gonna say I still see like remnants of like that in my grandmother and in the way that she carries herself. Um, For one, she like, put rollers in her hair every single night. For as long as I've lived, I've never seen her miss a night. I don't know how she does it, um, and I bet that's so uncomfortable. But um, also, we cannot have guests if the house is messy. Like, you know, that's the thing. Like, you have have to uphold this image that you are very well kept, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Right, again, it's that public versus private. If your house is messy, people can't come in. I also don't ever remember my grandmother going to bed without rollers in her hair. And I remember as a boy thinking, how do you sleep on that? <laughs> it's not comfortable at all. But that, that idea of presentation, what would you say Ruth's primary concern is in this play? Anybody I've not heard from. Yes, Anil. Oh, sir, maintaining the
2: family.
1: Maintaining the family. The most important thing to Ruth in this play is maintaining the family, right? Uh, me? Yeah. Uh, I think also, like, maintaining the image that they're, like, a
0: happy family, kind of.
1: Maintaining the image. Are they a happy family? I mean, I mean in like, my opinion, she, no.
0: She.
2: I, w- I would say it got to the point where they aren't they I mean they've had problems, and even like when the baby came about, she would like she tried to still have like a family presence but she just like neglected her duties i guess as being a wife so I wouldn't say that's like a complete family let's back up
1: you said neglected her duties as being a wife well which duties are you talking about as far as like or not or as
2: far as uh i guess being there for her husband in like whatever capacity she was before being there for her husband and and like doing things that she would like normally do as a wife like once she found out about the baby it was like all right i'll take care of the baby but like kind of you know you're not on your own but like you won't get the same I'm, i'm not sleeping with you anymore yeah like you're not that's that's no longer a thing
1: that's no longer a thing yeah
2: so, I mean, I guess, like, maintain... But she she, was, she burned that bridge. Yeah, but she still, like, did her... She still would be a mother to the child and, like, still care for children. So, I guess it is still, like, maintaining a family, but just, like, not in a holistic approach.
1: Is that... Is, did she respond to, Did she say, is is that... You have shown me such disrespect that that I can't... I'm not... I will no longer share my person. I will no longer share my body with you because that is the only thing I have. Like, what would it have... Could she have left him? Really?
3: I'm just curious. Where
1: where would she go? I don't think she had that much money.
2: I don't think she had that much money.
1: She's stuck. But that's her reality. And I don't know that she necessarily thought of it as being stuck.
0: People didn't really get divorces.
1: And people didn't get divorces. That wasn't, maybe that wasn't an option.
0: And there's another part in, like, maintaining this perfect family image.
1: Identity. It also has to do with her identity. My identity, that thing that tells me who I am, is your wife, Troy. It's the mother of this per. He has, and Troy, this is Troy's second relationship from which he has kids, Right? She's already wife number two. What were her options? What were her options as a black woman in
2: 1957?
1: She had, few. she had few, if any. She had few, if any. Making, I don't want to say that it was making the most of a bad situation. I think it's family. I think it's family.
2: financial situations, like you said, she really didn't have much money, so why leave something that is somewhat financially stable, more stable than you would be on your own, than, you know, just staying? Okay. I feel like that
1: factors into it as well. So what does family mean? Think about your own families. Do you have cousins, sisters, brothers? How bad do you guys have family members that have maybe crossed a line? I haven't. <laughs> Bull, you don't have family? Tell me, tell me nobody in your family has has pushed the boundaries of what family means? Nobody, okay? I will, I believe you. Um, I have relatives who are in jail. I have relatives, I have, how many of you, just a quick show of hands, how many of you know uh, a man or a woman in your family who has cheated? <laughs> Does cheating mean the relationship's over? <laughs> just, you figure, that's grown folks, right? You figure, out, you figure out how to get to what happens next when you're there. Rose was figuring that out. Um. Fences. Let's talk about, uh, fences. Let's talk about the, what is a fence? Really quickly, you guys, what exactly, let's, let, this is not trying to trick you, what's a fence? Something that keeps someone in or out. It's something that keeps someone in or out. Barrier. It's a barrier or a boundary. Okay. What is Troy's activity? What is he trying to do? Jordan, what is it that Troy is trying to do through this whole play? Build or finish a fence. Right, good. What else, at the beginning of the play, there's a baseball bat that is uh, leaning against a tree trunk. Do you all remember that? Good. Troy has an image in his head of what he was supposed to be. Remember, he says, I was just born at the wrong time. What does that mean? Can I ask you to speak up? My bad. Uh, Saying, like, basically, like,
0: black people weren't, like, allowed to play baseball professionally and stuff like that. So, like, he grew up in an era where he had to, like, just be like, all right, forget sports and stuff. Let me go work a nine-to-five so I can take care of my family.
1: Right. So some of it has to do with what he perceives as a man's responsibility, right? I could have been... I I can't remember the line exactly, but I think it's something like, you know, I could have been, his dream is, I could have been a great baseball player if I didn't have to do this. So he has this perception that the fortunes of a black man have shifted from when he was younger to where he is now, right? Good. The set is described as a dilapidated front porch, right? Or sorry, back porch. Why, why do you think most of this play takes place on the porch? That's where you see a lot of black people grow up. A lot of black people grow up on the porch, yes. That's not me being funny, I mean, I get it. Uh, it has to do with community, right? It has to do with, when I moved down here to New Orleans, I didn't realize that porch sitting was an actual thing, but porch sitting is an actual thing. You sit out on the porch when it gets too hot, you're like, hey, Say hey to all your neighbors, hey. <laughs> and they're just walking by, hey. And if you don't say hey, you uppity. Mm-hmm. Oh, you must be from up north. <laughs> People just sit outside. There's a sense of community, right? Good. Um, but the, the porch is unfinished. Troy has a way of not following through. Troy has a way of not finishing what he's started right? Troy has a way of not completing the relationship that he invested in because he goes off and finds another woman and has another baby. Troy has a way of not being present in his own life, right? How do you, do you guys have a response to that idea? What do you think of that idea of masculinity? What do you think of the idea of masculinity represented in the character of Troy or his eldest son in this play? Why can Troy? uh, Why can this family afford this house? He He has a job. Yes, but his brother gets a disability check. His brother gets a disability check. So it's a little bit he always has shame. Troy is ashamed that Troy is ashamed that he ha- the only way he can get this house is because of his brother's disability check, right? So there's an investment even we don't we, things you don't want to talk about, but there's an investment in his brother not moving out. There's an investment in his brother still being there and being disabled, right? He has to, that that has to be his reality. He loses his house if his brother moves out, if his brother's moved into a facility, or if his brother dies even, right? So there's that dependency on that. What else does this play say about Troy? What is, what else does this play say about the nature of ma- of Troy's version of masculinity, Jemiren? Uh,
3: I, I wanted to talk about like um, his relationship towards his son. Okay. Have, like, um, Which son? His younger his youngest son, Corey. Yeah, how he wanted to play sports. Yeah, his youngest son, Corey. Um, and he uh, we know that Troy Troy uh, dreamed to work out with sports, and he and he wanted like his younger son to play sports, because I, f- I feel like he wanted to him to be realistic and uh and get a job and stuff and i feel like i really don't understand the relationship that's why i want to bring it up because i really understand the relationship between because he knows it's a different time now, and he still won't let him play sports that's why i want to bring up that topic I want why to do you it. guys think thank you why do you
1: guys think uh, troy won't let corey play sports
0: so he won't be disappointed um because troy thinks the reason why he wasn't able to play sports was because he was black when really it's because he got old and they didn't want to draft an old guy into the league. Um, but, um, so he doesn't want his son to like, face that same racism that he thought he experienced. Okay. So then he's keeping him from it, but really he's just keeping him from opportunity and not even allowing him to have the opportunity to be scouted.
1: Okay. Bull, your hand was up. Is it, could it be, jealousy?
2: Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was thinking it's like he he's getting so many chances like uh or the void that's being filled to the lack of his uh discretion and what he's like failing to do is like beyond him and he can't find a way to like uh, come to terms with it so he chooses to fight with his son and like gives him strikes. Uh and like at the end when his son mentions like that's like the only way that you're able to have this house is because of your brother. Like, he gets really angry, and they start fighting again. So it's like a sort of uh, resentment, I feel, like, in himself. But he takes it out on others because they're able to do what he's not or what he wish he could have done.
3: Okay.
2: So it's like he's aware, but it's like... he, he Or he's conscious, but he's taking it out in, like, in ways that aren't, uh, I guess... Uh, reasonable okay. Martin <laughs> I just feel like he's trying to kind of like protect him because like he didn't want to, to like fall in the same well, footsteps as him and like
1: get to that point in his life and have to struggle like that so in your opinion one of the things that's happening is Troy is protecting yeah protecting him from what I, but I want Marvin to give a voice to this. Troy is Sorry. protecting Corey from what?
2: I guess, like failure, I guess. From oh, failure?
1: Yeah. Possible. That's an absolutely possible answer. Bull, your hand came up. I feel it's kind of
2: what you said and what you said, too. Is this, I mean, uh, like a father, I mean, you got to love your children, so you don't want to follow the same uh, path it took and end up in the same situation as Troy 12 adjust and then come back again up and like get a job and then struggle as they struggled before.
1: You said something really interesting, and I want you to say that. Out. When I said, uh, what do you think Troy, and I'm not saying either of you are wrong, I agree with both of you. Thank you for adding that. When I said, what is Troy protecting Cory from, you said? America. America, the realities of yeah. what it means to be black and male in America. That's that's also a possibility. Mm
0: -hmm. Going off that, what you're saying about what does it say about masculinity? I think um, black men tend to use um, their like what they go through as a black male in America as an excuse for how they act inside the home.
1: Okay, that is really that is a good. You know what? If you're gonna write a thesis statement for this class, and you might, that's a really good place to start. I'll just say. <laughs> so yes, we have to we have to always, that's what I mean about the complexity of character. Troy's the nature of who and what Troy is is wildly complex. And literally everything that you have just said fuels what makes up that character. That's what I mean by having a layered that, that's a layered character. That is a character who has depth that is a character who is a fully rounded person. Do you see how that might be different than the comedic character that showed up in the Jeffersons? That's what what August Wilson is doing. He's actually allowing black existence to be a complex thing, Not, not just allowing it, he's doing an artistic rendering of black existence that is complex, that is layered, that is not that is not simple or easy, right? Yes?
0: How do you think White America kind of took this play? Like, how did they view it? And I mean, like, because it won, or was nominated for like four Oscars, and like Viola Davis won for like hers, so
1: it was like... I don't know how White America took this play. Um, I don't know how White people read this play. Yeah. Because I'm not.
0: Is (laughs) Is it like for them, or is it like...
1: Okay, so one of the realities of American theater that we always have to deal with is this. Um, If we look at the economic realities of black and white people in most rural, sorry, most urban areas, like even here in New Orleans. In New Orleans, more than 60% of the population is African American, but 80, some, 80 to 85 or higher percent of the wealth is owned by the white community, right? Yeah. But that's a reality. Mm-hmm. Great, so I have a theater company and I want my theater company to be financially <laughs> successful. That means I've gotta charge 50, let's just, I'll be conservative. Let me say I had to charge $30 for a ticket, right? The largest portion of the population Can't afford my thirty-dollar tickets. This past weekend, I went and I saw *Raisin in the Sun* at Ashé Cultural Center. Mm -hmm. It's twenty-five dollars to get in and see it. No, at Ashé, there. Okay, so there are groups of Black people in New Orleans that were like, you know what? If we're going to support a theater, we're going to pick this one. So I went and saw that, and and there was a largely black audience. But one of the realities here is, if I've got 250 seats or 200 seats in my audience, I've got to market market that to the people who have money. Mm -hmm. So this play, in fact, all of August Wilson's plays are aware of the realities of that, right? It's putting black lives and black existence on screen. We're, can you give me an example that's happening literally right now of a black artist who is centering black identity and black lived experience?
2: There was a recent artist that just got killed over the weekend, and it was Nipsey Hussle.
1: Nipsey Hussle. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was thinking of a movie maker. Now I'm leading you down a path. Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele said something this past week Because now if you say something, we'll put it on Twitter. (laughs) What did he say?
0: They're mad about it.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Jordan Peele was... uh, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but uh, anybody who missed it, he essentially said, he's like, yeah, I'm not interested in casting white guys in my movie because I've seen that movie already, Mm -hmm. right? Centering blackness, centering the black experience, centering African-American identity is a part of this project, right? Because for so long in America and in American history and in America art- American artistic representation, blackness has been marginal or tangential, right? So now we're going, what happens? And it, I don't even know if there's necessarily animosity toward the white world. Like animosity toward the, the dominant culture isn't necessarily a part of this play. It's there. It's the reality. But the playwright himself is saying, you don't concern me that I spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week thinking about being in white culture. This play, it's about black people being around black people, right? Cool. Uh, Talk to me for just a couple seconds about Bono, his best friend. How does that relationship work? I would describe, I'm sorry, let me back up. Troy has several relationships in this play. He has a relationship with Bono. He has a relationship with Ruth. He has a relationship with Corey, right? And you guys are, and you can use the play to talk about or define those relationships. What is the nature of his relationship with his son? We've talked about that already. Is he jealous? Maybe. Is he protecting him? Maybe at some point in time, uh, he says, I don't have to like you. Liking you was not one of the jobs that I signed up for. It's the job of a father to raise his son. To raise his son so he can go out into a world that is perhaps hostile and is going to try and kill him. I'm going to give you the skills you need to be strong, to survive. That's his role as a father. But liking him or even loving him, Is that actually the job of the father? In a country in which so many black men had to leave their families, maybe they were leaving, uh, and we can talk about, we've talked about in this room, about the separation of black men from families. We've talked about what that has to do with uh, the history of slavery. We've talked about what it has to do with in, in, in the context of the great migration So this play is also dealing with that. Troy is considered a good guy because he stayed, kinda, but he didn't, right? Because he's going to sleep with his other woman. What does fatherhood, what does masculinity, all of you people who have to write thesis uh, thesis statements for your final papers should really be thinking about these kinds of things. What does fatherhood mean? What does manhood mean? Yes, Daniil. You're us yes, in the context of
2: uh,
1: Bono and Troy? Yes,
2: thank you. I got way off track. All right. I, <laughs> um, I think like Bono has some sort of, not resentment, um, but he sees like in Troy, what his father was to him, so like I, they had, I guess, they a conversation or something. Um, I can't remember, but they were telling each other like about their experiences or something. And like um, in Bono's experience, like his father was like going from woman to woman, like couldn't stay put. Um, I, I guess that's what he kind of sees in Troy. So he has like some concern.
1: Okay. Stay on Bono for a second. Tell me about Bono's relationship with his wife. He's like,
2: he's super devoted to his wife. Super
1: devoted. So the playwright gives us a representation of a man who is in fact devoted to his woman, right? Troy exists. Bono is a foil opposite Bono. Bono's existence in this play actually shows us more of the tarnish On Troy,
2: I think I don't think the movie really implies it, but I feel like uh, Bono kind of puts himself in like puts himself in like his son's shoes or like Troy's son's shoes in some way. Like I don't know, I'm just trying to make connections, but I guess how he kind of sees how uh, Troy is like how he was with his father. And like his son, he doesn't want, uh, I guess he doesn't have like some resentment that he actually like vocalizes, but they were just like in conversation. He was like sharing his experience. So I guess like he sees that between uh, Troy and his son and like how Troy uh, and Rose are to each other.
1: Bono is a corrective. Bono, (laughs) did you see Get Out?
2: Yeah.
1: Good. You remember his friend who would keep calling him up, going, what are you doing? You should leave. That's Bono. Yeah. Bono is literally that, that friend calling you up going, you about to mess up. Okay, you done messed up. Like that's that, that moment of somebody, uh, the interjection or the interlocutor I think is the big college word for it. Yes. I
0: think Troy's representation of what a man is supposed to be changes um, when it, whoever it's directed to. Okay. So when his relationship with Bono, he's gonna like, boast about women or all these women that he have or you know like he's like they're drinking like all the time like you know that's his idea of being a man when he's with bono and then to his son
1: or freedom or freedom
0: Elaborate. Huh? what does that mean what do you mean by that
1: does he does he get to be free with with bono He gets to tell his story. He actually gets to be kind of a star. He gets to be entertaining and fun. So his relationship with Bono, it's carefree, kind of. It's a double whammy though. It's a double whammy though, why? Because he gets that, he can
2: in a sense be carefree, but not too carefree because Bono isn't passing judgment on him and he's not gonna let him like slip or he'll, he'll bono, he's totally passing judgment well he him. i mean he is but like I'm, I'm saying like in context of his head like he's 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 conscious of it like you know yeah so i mean he he he's a man at the end of the day he's he's gonna he's, he'll say something or he'll like he's gonna let a man be a man but like he's he's very conscious of it Like he knows but i could tell by like that conversation that they have
1: yeah like, but bono aware. moves away from him at the end of the play
2: yeah, Bono's so he, like, he let, like that's what I'm saying, it's a double whammy. Like he, he thinks, uh, he, he just removes himself. Like, you know, he'd rather not engage or he'd rather
1: just let that be him. I'm gonna let you sink on this ship all in your Yeah. Lungs. Got it. Good. I saw a hand back there. All right, good. So we've got about four minutes left, ladies and gentlemen. I just wanna close this discussion and I want you guys to think about things. One, the plays that we're studying in this class from Langston Hughes to um, Lynn Nottage to Pearl Cleage, all of these plays are in fact in conversation with each other. I want you to think about, uh, for colored girls who've committed suicide when the rainbow is enough in relationship to this play. For colored girls, we've got Ntozaka Shange who is voicing and taking the place of, or, or she's allowing a black woman's voice to be heard. These are the private thoughts of a black woman. This is the private world that we've always been told not to show to the public, right? In the same way, August Wilson is with plays like Fences and the entire Philadelphia, uh, sorry Pittsburgh cycle moving the private lives of black identity into the center of the artistic mission, right? I want you guys to think about what that means in terms of, in context with each other, not necessarily Ntisaka Shange and August Wilson, but absolutely those two, as well as Passover, which we watched in class. In what way is the movie or the, the film of the play Passover also still in conversation with this play, right? So in Passover, they can't get off that corner they're stuck, they can't go anywhere. Much like Troy, who is stuck and can't go anywhere. Right? Much like the women in For Colored Girls are stuck and can't go anywhere. What does that say about black existence? What does that say about the nature? What, is, what are black artists saying? about the nature of black existence. So that's what I want to leave you with. Please, all of you, read. You will You will get a pop quiz on this play, Fences, and you'll get a pop quiz on uh, T-Bone and Weasel on Thursday. And we'll talk about T-Bone and Weasel on Thursday. Thank you. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear from you you can email us at podcasts at c-span.org.